acids. Two wizards. Oh, I love that guy. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, oh, Josh. Oh, hey, Mark. Sorry, hey. we didn't we 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 didn't see you there. Uh, yeah, we were just come we were just on caught in, up. Yeah, we were just caught up in the story. Didn't we? Didn't notice you. Uh, didn't notice you there. Welcome. Yeah, welcome. So good of you to come on this ooky spooky October evening. Yeah, and well, and and this is this has been by far one of the ookiest and the spookiest Octobers in recent memory for me. Certainly. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, like we're putting all this two wizards energy into it. It's getting real weird. Yeah, well, and maybe that's part of it, too, because, like, not that I've ever downplayed this or, like, tried to hide it from myself, but but I think because I've leaned into my being a wizard, because, like, week in and week out, I constantly affirm, hi, I'm Josh, and I'm a wizard. Like, mm-hmm. maybe that's maybe that's also kind of making, making, this, uh, making this season all the ookier and spookier. Hell yeah, it is. Yeah. And, Which, and now we have these guests who have come into our tower. Yes, and exactly. Which, what, by the way... Oh, I'm, it's not our guests, Josh. It's the peasants. It's the peasants oh, who are afraid of us in the village. And uh, Oh, hey, hey, what's what's that? Little Gershon? Oh, hey, he brought us a present. It's a tribute. Uh, ooh, Josh, he brought us some bad magic, bud. Bad magic? He bought what? us something called Four Loco and this uh, book called the Necronomicon. Oh, jeez. Yeah, I've, I've heard terrible terrible things about those two just kind of separately i can't imagine what would happen if we actually combined them i think i'm horned up for mayhem and uh, yep little little gershon is nodding his head this is the mayhem that he's horned up for too well i i mean i would hate to disappoint him you know and oh absolutely and, and if there's ever a time for us to yeah mix mix some dark magic together then whew, let's let's do it Tonight's let's tonight. do it now in the spookiest month of all in the spookiest time two yeah. weeks before election <laughs> yeah if you're american ookie ookie spooky <laughs> <laughs> what greater fear is this i know none yeah. maybe maybe getting the necronomicon and these four locos are right when they're needed most perhaps <laughs> you know like like they're never late they always arrive exactly when they intend to so yeah yeah there we go. Well, the I guess the universe just fell into place. Yeah. Right. Right. Well, I'll well I'll go ahead and take take at least a couple of these, and it looks like I have a sour apple. I have sour apple for loco. Ooh. All right. Load, sort up of, your, uh, load up your goblet, there, buddy. Yeah, I'm gonna just crack this crack this open right now. And and wh- what were you able to find there? Well, I pulled out a four loco gold, which mm. isn't a flavor. I'd like to point out. Uh, let's cut yeah, to that's... produce corner with Mark real quick. Gold isn't a flavor. Orange is, but gold isn't. All right, that was Produce Corner with Mark. It's Produce Corner. All right, uh, you want to crack these open, buddy? Yeah, let's let's do it. All right. Oh God! And even like, even that audio spikes. Oh, and the and the first hit of smell. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. Well, that 
totally spike the auto. But you know what? That's I. I'm I'm honestly surprised that I'm surprised. I should have known that that was going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, in case you guys couldn't tell, we're here in our Wizards Tower together, and we're gonna drink four locos and read some HP Lovecraft stories. Yeah. Oh man, this is I I'm I. Yeah, like I've mentioned, like it's been it's been a long time since I sort of partook with either of these. Um, but yeah, to combine them together in the same sitting, I think we're going to like see some things beyond this material plane. <laughs> I think we are too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you guys can hear the fear in my voice, but yeah. it's uh <laughs> it's real. All right. It is real. Yeah, so yeah, let's yeah let's crack it open this tome. Yeah, what, let's crack it open. I, I I don't know. I I think we could just. I mean, I, from my understanding, the Necronomicon isn't necessarily something you have to start with page one. I think I think you could just open it up to any page and, and start there. So let's just take a first crack at it and choose a choose somewhere in in the middle and see what see what manifests. Yeah. And we're opening it, and here's this one, the Outsider. Mm, okay. All right. All right. Well, let's so take it. Uh, we'll just uh, yeah, we'll just yeah. we'll just take it. I guess sort of sort of paragraph by paragraph and uh, see what sort of horrors lie within. Yeah, and uh, we'll have some fun, and you guys have some fun too, huh? Yeah, exactly. Because because it's 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 more than just me and Mark. Like it's like you are you are all welcome as well, and hopefully that's that's become more and more obvious. I don't know. We can cut this yes. out. I'm kind of feeling like I'm rambling. <laughs> no, you're fine. Okay. You're fine. All right. Well, here you go. Well, well, here. What if? Um, yeah. What if we just kind of like 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 trade off paragraphs, and then and then we can we can uh, talk about things that seem in that seem interesting to talk about. Yeah. Sounds good. Let's do her. All right. Um, why don't Why don't you take the honors there? And before I do this, I'm going to take a sip of my four loco gold. Nope. <laughs> and I immediately regret that decision. Oh yeah, my god, we got to get through yeah, two of this these. Is, this is gonna be. I, oh I, I I've been I've been very gin- gingerly nursing the sour apple, which it is. It's just like if you have a bunch of green Jolly Ranchers um, and malt liquor, then I guess you know what that what this is. Like. <laughs> I don't even know how to describe this. Did you ever? Okay, no, I do. Do you ever go to the auto parts store? Do you remember going mm-hmm. to the auto yep. parts store as a kid with your dad? And the smell of oil and like oh, no. engine cleaner—that's <laughs> what it tastes like oh, with no. alcohol behind it. Also, I don't know about yours, but mine has a big old fourteen percent oh, alcohol yeah. yep, slash the, volume on it. That's the uh, potency of mine too. So we'll we'll we're in good, this good. together, man. Yeah, we're 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 in it together, baby. All right, Outsider by H.P. Lovecraft. Let's get this. Unhappy is he to whom the memories of childhood bring only fear and sadness. Wretched is he who looks back upon lone hours in vast and dismal chambers, with brown hangings and maddening rows of antique books, or upon awe watches in twilight groves of grotesque, gigantic, vine-encumbered trees that silently weave twisted branches far aloft. Such a lot the gods gave to me, to me, the dazed, the disappointed, the barren, the broken. And yet, I am strangely content and cling desperately to those those sere memories, 
when my mind momentarily threatens to reach beyond the other. I know not where I was born, save that the castle was infinitely old and infinitely horrible, full of dark passages and having high ceilings where the eye could find only cobwebs and shadows. The stones in the crumbling corridors seemed always hideously damp, and there was an accursed smell everywhere, as of the piled up, as of the piled up corpses of dead generations. It was never light, so that I used sometimes to light candles and gaze steadily at them for relief. Nor was there any sun outdoors, since the terrible trees grew high above the topmost accessible tower. There was one black tower which reached above the trees into the unknown outer sky, but that was partly ruined and could not be ascended save by a well-nigh impossible climb up the sheer wall, stone by stone. I must have lived years in this place, but I cannot measure the time. Beings must have cared for my needs, yet I cannot recall any person except myself or anything alive but the noiseless rats and bats and spiders. I think that whoever nursed me must have been shockingly aged, since my first conception of a living person was that of somebody mockingly like myself, yet distorted, shriveled, and decaying like the castle. To me, there was nothing grotesque in the bones and skeletons that strewed from some of the stone crypts deep down among the foundations. I fantastically associated these things with everyday events, and thought them more natural than the colored pictures of living beings which I found in many of the moldy books. From such books I learned all that I know. No teacher urged or guided me, and I do not recall hearing any human voice in all those years, not even my own. For although I had read of speech, I had never thought to speak aloud. My aspect was a matter equally unthought of, for there were no mirrors in the castle, and I merely regarded myself by instinct as akin to the youthful figures I saw drawn and painted in the books. I felt conscious of youth because I remembered so little." Outside, across the putrid moat and under the dark mute trees, I would often lie and dream for hours about what I read in the books, and would longingly picture myself amidst gay crowds in the sunny world beyond the endless forests. Once I tried to escape from the forest, but as I went farther from the castle, the shade grew denser and the air more filled with brooding fear, so that I frantically ran back lest I lose my way in a labyrinth of nighted silence. So through endless twilights I dreamed and waited, though I knew not what I waited for. Then in the shadowy silhouette my longing for light grew so frantic that I could rest no more, and I lifted entreating hands to the single black ruined tower that reached above the forest into the unknown outer sky. And at last I resolved to scale that tower, fall though I might, since it were better to glimpse the sky and perish than to live without ever beholding day. In the dank twilight I climbed the warm and aged the worn and aged stone stairs till I reached the level where they ceased, and thereafter clung perilously to small footholds leading upward. Ghastly and terrible was that dead, stairless cylinder of rock, black, ruined, and deserted, and sinister with startled bats whose wings made no noise. But more ghastly and terrible still was the slowness of my progress. For climb as I might, the darkness overhead grew no thinner, and a new chill as of haunted and venerable mold assailed me. I shivered as I wondered why I did not reach the light, and would have looked down had I dared. I fancied that night had come suddenly upon me, and vainly groped with one free hand for a window embrasure, that I might peer out and above, and try to judge the height I had once attained. All at once, after an infinity of awesome sightless crawling up that concave and desperate precipice, I felt my head touch a solid thing, and I knew I must have gained the roof or at least some t kind of floor. In the darkness, I raised my free hand and tested the barrier, finding it stone and unmovable. Then came a deadly circuit of the tower, 
clinging to whatever holds the slimy wall could give, till finally my testing hand found the barrier yielding, and I turned upward again, pushing the slab or door with my head as I used both hands in a fearful ascent. There was no light revealed above, and my hands went higher. I knew that my climb for the nounce ended, since the slab was a trap door of an aperture leading to a level of stone surfaced of greater circumference than the lower tower. No doubt the floor of some lofty and capacious observation chamber. I crawled through carefully and tried to prevent the heavy slab from falling back into place. I failed in the latter attempt. As I lay exhausted on the floor, I heard the eerie echoes of its fall and hoped when necessary to pry it up again. Believing I was now at prodigious height, far above the accursed branches of the wood, I dragged myself up from the floor and fumbled about for windows that I might look for the first time upon the sky and the moon and stars of which I had read. But on every hand I was disappointed, since all that I found were vast shells of marble, bearing odious oblong boxes of disturbing size. More and more I reflected and wondered what hoary secrets might abode in this high apartment so many eons cut off from the castle below. Then, unexpectedly, my hands came upon a door, where hung a portal of stone, rough with strange chiseling. Trying it, I found it locked. But with a supreme burst of strength, I overcame all obstacles and dragged it open inward. As I did so, there came to me the purest ecstasy I had ever known. For shining tranquilly through an ornate grating of iron, and down a short stone passageway of steps that ascended from the newly found doorway, was the radiant full moon, which I had never before seen save in dreams and in vague visions I dared not call memories." Fancying now that I had attained the very pinnacle of the castle, I commenced to rush up the few steps beyond the door, but the sudden veiling of the moon by a cloud caused me to stumble, and I felt my way more slowly in the dark. It was still very dark when I reached the grating, which I tried carefully and found unlocked, but which I did not open for the fear of falling from the amazing height to which I had climbed. Then the moon came out. Most demoniacal of all shocks is that of the abysmally unexpected and grotesquely unbelievable. Nothing I had before undergone could compare in terror with what I now saw, with the bizarre marvels that sight implied. The sight itself was as simple as it was stupefying, for it was merely this. Instead of a dizzying prospect of treetops seen from a lofty eminence, there stretched around me on the level through the grating nothing less than the solid ground decked and diversified by marble slabs and columns, and overshadowed by an ancient stone church, whose ruined spire gleamed spectrally in the moonlight. Half unconscious, I opened the grating and staggered out upon the white gravel path that stretched away in two directions. My mind, stunned and chaotic as it was, still held the frantic craving for light, and not even the fantastic wonder which had, ha which had happened could stay my course. I neither knew nor cared whether my experience was insanity, dreaming, or magic, but was determined to gaze on brilliance and gaiety at any cost. I knew not who I was or what I was, or what my surroundings might be, though I had continued to stumble along. Though as I continued to stumble along, I became conscious of a kind of fearsome latent memory that made my progress not wholly fortuitous. I passed under the arch out of that region of slabs and columns, and wandered through the open country sometimes following the visible road, but sometimes leaving it curiously to tread across the meadows, where only occasional ruins bespoke the ancient presence of a forgotten road. Once I swam across a swift river where crumbling mossy masonry told of a bridge long vanished. 
Over two hours must have passed before I reached what seemed to be my goal, a venerable ivied castle in a thickly wooded park, maddeningly familiar, yet full of perplexing strangeness to me. I saw that the moat was filled in, and that some of the well-known towers were demolished, whilst new wings existed to confuse the beholder. But what I observed with chief interest and delight were the open windows, gorgeously ablaze with light and sending forth sound of the gayest revelry. Advancing to one of these, I looked in and saw an oddly dressed company indeed, making merry and speaking brightly to one another. I had never seemingly heard human speech before and could guess only vaguely what was said. Some of the faces seemed to hold expressions that brought up incredibly remote recollections. Others were utterly alien. I now stepped through the low window into the brilliantly lighted room, stepping as I did so my single bright moment of hope to my blackest convulsion of despair and realization. The nightmare was quick to come, for as I entered, there occurred immediately one of the most terrifying demonstrations I had ever conceived. Scarcely had I crossed the sill, when there descended upon the whole company a sudden and unheralded fear of hideous intensity, distorting every face and evoking the most horrible screams from nearly every throat. Flight was universal, and in the clamor and panic several fell in a swoon and were dragged away by their madly fleeing companions. Many covered their eyes with their hands and plunged blindly and awkwardly in their race to escape, overturning furniture and stumbling against the walls before they managed to reach one of the many doors. The cries were shocking, and as I stood in the brilliant apartment alone and dazed listening to their vanishing echoes, I trembled at the thought of what might be lurking near me, unseen. At a casual inspection, the room seemed deserted, but when I moved towards one of the alcoves, I thought I detected a presence there, a hint of motion beyond the golden arched doorway leading to another and somewhat similar room. As I approached the arch, I began to perceive the presence more clearly, and then, with the first and last sound I ever uttered, a ghastly ululation that revolted me almost as poignantly as its noxious cause, I beheld in full, frightful vividness the inconceivable, indescribable, and unmentionable monstrosity which had by its simple appearance changed a merry company to a herd of delirious fugitives. I cannot even hint what it was like, for it was a compound of all that is unclean, uncanny, unwelcome, abnormal, and detestable. It was the ghoulish shade of decay, antiquity, and dissolution, the putrid, dripping idolon of unwholesome revelation, the awful barring of that which the merciful earth should always hide. God knows it was not of this world, or no longer of this world, yet to my horror I saw in its eaten away and bone-revealing outlines a leering, abhorrent travesty on the human shape, and in its moldy, disintegrating apparel, an unspeakable quality that chilled me even more. I was almost paralyzed but not too much so to make a feeble effort towards flight. The backward stumble which failed to break the spell in which the nameless, voiceless monster held me. My eyes bewitched by the glassy orbs which stared loathsomely into them refused to close. Though they were mercifully blurred and showed the terrible object, but instinctively after the first shock. I tried to raise my hand to shut out the sight, yet so stunned were my nerves that my arm could not fully obey my will. The attempt, however, was enough to disturb my balance, so that I had to stagger forward several steps to avoid falling. As I did so, I became suddenly and agonizingly aware of the nearness of the carrion thing, whose hideous hollow breathing I half-fancied I could hear. 
Nearly mad, I found myself yet able to throw out a hand to ward off the fetid apparition which pressed so close. When in one cataclysmic second of cosmic nightmarishness and hellish accident, my fingers touched the rotting outstretched paw of the monster beneath the golden arch. I did not shriek, but all the fiendish ghouls that ride the night wind shrieked for me as in some second there crashed down upon my mind a single fleeting avalanche of soul-annihilating memory. Jesus Christ, drink. That's a good line, mm -hmm. sorry. I knew in that second all that had been. I remembered beyond the frightful castle and the trees and recognized the altered edifice of in which I now stood, I recognized most terrible of all, the unholy abomination that stood leering before me as I withdrew my sullied fingers from its own. But in the cosmos there is balm as well as bitterness, and that balm is Nepenthe. In the supreme horror of that second I forgot what had horrified me, and the burst of black memory vanished in a chaos of echoing images. In a dream I fled from that haunted and accursed pile, and ran swiftly and silently in the moonlight. When I returned to the churchyard place of marble and went down the steps, I found the stone trapdoor immovable. But I was not sorry, for I had hated the antique castle in the trees. Now I ride with the mocking and friendly ghouls on the night wind, and play by day amongst the catacombs of Nefren Ka in the sealed and unknown valley of Hadoth by the Nile. I know that light is not for me, save that of the moon over the rock tombs of Neb nor any gaiety save the unnamed feasts of Nitocris before the Great Pyramid. Yet in my new wildness and freedom, I almost welcome the bitterness of alienage. For although Nepenthe has called me, I know always that I am an outsider, a stranger in this century and among those who are still men. This I have known ever since I stretched my fingers to the abomination within the great gilded frame, stretched out my fingers and touched a cold and unyielding surface of polished glass. <laughs> Can your consciousness take another? Because it was a mirror. I, I just, I just want to give this guy a hug. Cause like, I know. Cause, cause, like he, he, he was, he was buried, he was buried in this, in this crypt, uh, and, and only like, like maybe had a companion to kind of look after him, and just read a bunch, and like you're, and, yeah. and like, the one thing he yearned for the most, like brought, brought all this horrible understanding to him, and so yeah, I just want to give him a hug and read books together. Hell yeah. And it, it's weird that for once, reading in a Lovecraft story isn't what triggers your madness. It's going out and doing that something. That is, ooh, that's actually a really good point. Yeah, because so many of the other things are like, hey, don't read that thing or stop looking at all these books in the in a Miskatonic University library. Um, but yeah, the, the, but like, this is, you're, you're right. This is one of the relatively few stories where it's not reading itself that brings on all these terrible, really. These terrible realizations. Yeah. 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 That's a good one. I really like um, whatever I made us drink for. The uh Yeah, where was that? A single fleeting avalanche of soul annihilating memory. Yeah. I like that that's a lot. That's really good. That's really good. Well, because that's just it too, is it is. Like 
the whole and I know this line gets used in other stories too but yeah the whole correlating the contents of your mind where it's yeah. this thing that's really distant and you're not sure if it's a dream or a memory but then once you do put all the pieces together and you realize oh shit yeah that's that's right then that's when that's when it happens that's when it happens that's when yeah it happens. One of these days, we'll read Call of Cthulhu, and people are going to get that correlated in the contents of your yeah, mind. Yeah, true, 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 true. One of these yeah. days. Although, I think that's that's sort of the, like, motif of many of these Lovecraft stories, uh, is it's like... Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, 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 yeah for but, sure. But you're, you're right that that phrase, that verbatim phrase, specifically, does come from Call of Cthulhu, but... Well, I think that's how he... I think that's how he opens it, but I'm not... It sure. is. No, yeah. It, it's it's definitely within like the first uh, first sentence because when we did our Cthulhu yeah. by candlelight, that was one of the um, that was like one of the opening monologues that we had, right? Yeah. Okay. So I just I looked it up. You know what? Fuck it. I'm gonna read okay, this. Perfect. Future Mark put in some spooky music here. The most merciful thing in the world, I think, is the inability for the human mind to correlate all of its contents. We live on a placid island of ignorance in the midst of black seas of infinity, and it is not meant that we should voyage far. The sciences, each straining in its own direction, have hitherto harmed us little. But someday, the piecing together of disassociated knowledge will open up such terrifying vistas of reality and our own, of our own frightful position therein that we shall either go mad from the revelation or flee to, from the deadly light into the peace and safety of a new dark age. That's, I love that fucking line. such a great man. It's such a great line. And yeah, isn't that it? Isn't that it? Where it is? It's that whole like yeah, which that makes it like the fact that as as we've talked about before, like the human brain is a is a puzzle solving machine. Like it's like it's mm -hmm. looking for patterns and it's trying to understand things and like, and like that's what it does. It just it it tries to make sense of the world, and sometimes it gets it right, sometimes it gets it wrong, but like. I think so many of the usual horrors or terrors is like, what if we get it wrong? Whereas Lovecraft is like, no, what if we actually get it right? What if we actually do understand all of the interrelatedness of things that we didn't know before? And then that drives us crazy. So I, I also yeah. really like that that is his, that's his take on it. Yeah, absolutely. Like, yeah, you can't, we're not supposed to know everything, right? and knowledge is a terrible thing. Yeah, yeah. And, and isn't that man? Isn't that either a either a cosmic or a or a, a, a man? I'm, uh, yeah, it's either a cosmic or a theological joke, right? Here's yeah. here is this creature, this animal man, where it's like, okay, figure things out. Like after so many years of evolution and uh process like like you you figure things out but then that's ultimately going to be what what uh is your undoing is like when you say like sorry man this it's it's either the necronomicon or this for, for loco that is maybe i'm maybe i'm starting to correlate some things <laughs> So maybe this is too weird, but I'm just going to throw it no, out let's there. let's do it. Uh, in, in all of his magic books, Crowley talks about the use of drugs in ritual. Mm -hmm. Yep. And, like, one thing he says a lot is, like, 
he'll talk about like you can do you can use cocaine to try and like heighten magical powers, but he really gets against you for like if you smoke weed because he talks about like it blocks the uh, it blocks your magical perceptors. Mm, okay. So I kind of wonder if Four Loco isn't like this weird Lovecraftian catalyst. That yeah. maybe even the mad Arab Abdul Alhazred conceived of himself, Josh, because right. lest we forget, he wrote the Necronomicon after eating alkali plants. So I'm just throwing it out there. I don't. I don't know. I think that makes complete sense. Ooh, excuse me. Yeah. <laughs> and it. Oh man, that was that was a really good, that was a really good first first little dive into the Necronomicon there. I am horrified and frightened, and it seems that little Gershon has turned tail and run from our tower. Well, well but bye. Thanks for visiting. Godspeed. Um, also, as in the meantime, I, I was not, I'm, I'm not only more curious about the Necronomicon, and I'm sure we're going to get back to it here shortly, but I was also more curious about, yeah, this, uh, this concoction that is for Loco. I lucked out knowing at least what was on the label here because mine said sour apple. So, so <laughs> I did a little research right now into what this four local four loco gold might taste like, and okay, and, and on the website it says tastes like gold. Not much more we can say. <laughs> Thanks. Which Thanks, guys. Lots yeah, of help. Super Appreciate helpful. It. <laughs> and then for uh, for instance, four loco black, it says. We won't tell you what it tastes like. You just have to find out at the start of your next Four loco story. And then for red, it says, we're not going to tell you what red tastes like. You'll just have to try it yourself and see. So uh, they're totally playing into this whole, like, yeah, if it's like... It's only mysterious if you do it, like, twice. If you just keep doing it, then you're not being mysterious. Yeah. You're being a dick who doesn't know this fucking alcohol. Yeah, is. it's just like... Like, call uh, it what it is. Say it's, you know... Uh, uh, Steel Cobra, and we slapped a gold label on. Yeah, it. yeah. Just shame on you. Yeah, or I don't even see a brewer. Drink for Brewing Company, Lacrosse, Wisconsin, and Memphis, Tennessee. Yeah, under special agreement from Latrobe. Oh, fuckers! This is a Budweiser thing, dude. Oh well, that only makes sense. Yeah, whatever. Yeah, or at at least we like call it. Four loco auto repair shop like that. Like if that's what it tastes like, then just say say that's what what it tastes like on the can. I don't. I don't know. Maybe I'm. Maybe I'm insane. <laughs> maybe. Maybe even like looking at the Necronomicon made me crazy. This. Yeah. That is. That is true. That is true. But, well, and actually, should we? Speaking of the Necronomicon, what if we? What if we flip to a new, new uh, part of the book? There, we'll, we'll take a look at it. Yeah. Let's do it, buddy. Turn that page. Turn that page. Okay, looks like this one is Nyarlathotep. Hmm. Which, yeah, that sounds that sounds fun. Sounds exciting. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, what doesn't if Doesn't sound awful. Doesn't, yeah, it doesn't sound awful. I mean, how bad could it be? It's Nyarlathotep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sounds like a friendly guy. Right. Hey, I'm going down to the corner to see Nyarlathotep. Want me to pick you up anything? Oh, yeah. No, yeah. I just saw him. Uh, we went bowling last weekend, and it was a ton of fun. <laughs> he gave me this thing. It's called Four Loco Gold. I don't know. <laughs> Nyarlathotep, again, by H.P. Lovecraft. Nyarlathotep, the crawling chaos. I am the last. I will tell the audient void. I do not recall distinctly when it began, but it was months ago. The general tension was horrible. 
To a season of political and social upheaval was added a strange and brooding apprehension of hideous physical danger, a danger widespread and all-embracing, such a danger as may be imagined only in the most terrible phantasms of the night. I recall that the people went about with pale and worried faces and whispered warnings and prophecies which no one dared consciously repeat or acknowledge to himself that he had heard. A sense of monstrous guilt was upon the land, and out of the abysses between the stars swept chill currents that made men shiver in dark and lonely places. There was a demonic alteration in the sequence of the seasons. The autumn heat lingered fearsomely, and everyone felt that the world and perhaps the universe had passed from the control of known gods or forces to that of gods or forces which were unknown. And it was then that Nyarlathotep came out of Egypt. Who he was, no one could tell. But he was the old, he was of the old native blood and looked like a pharaoh. The Feline knelt when they saw him, yet could not say why. He said he had risen up out of the blackness of 27 centuries, and that he had heard the messages from places not on this planet. Into the lands of civilization sat Nyarlathotep, swarthy, slender, and sinister, always buying strange instruments of glass and metal and combining them into instruments yet stranger. He spoke much of the power of the sciences of electricity and psychology and gave exhibitions of power which sent his spectators away speechless, yet which excelled his fame to exceeding magnitude. Men advised one another to see Nyarlathotep and shuddered, and where Nyarlathotep went, the rest vanished, for the small hours were rent with the screams of nightmare. Never before had the screams of nightmare been such a public problem. Now the wise men almost wished they could forbid sleep in the small hours, and that the shrieks of cities might less horribly disturb the pale, pitying moon as it glimmered on green waters gliding under bridges and old steeples crumbling against this, a sickly sky. I remember when Nyarlathotep came to my city, the great, the old, the terrible city of unnumbered crimes. My friend had told me of him, and of the impelling fascination and allurement of his revelations, and I burned with eagerness to explore his uttermost mysteries. My friend said that they were horrible and oppressive beyond my most fevered imaginings, and what was thrown on a screen in front of the darkened room prophesied things none but Nyarlathotep dared prophesize. And in the sputter of his sparks there was taken from men that which had never been taken before, yet which showed only in the eyes. And I heard it hinted abroad that those who knew Nyarlathotep looked on sights which others saw not. It was in the hot autumn that I went through the night with the restless crowds to see Nyarlathotep through the stifling night and up the endless stairs into the choking room. And shadowed on a screen, I saw hooded forms amidst ruins and yellow evil faces peering from behind fallen monuments. And I saw the world battling against blackness, against the waves of destruction from ultimate space, whirling, churning, struggling around the dimming, cooling sun. Then the sparks played amazingly around the heads of the spectators, and hair stood up on end whilst the shadows, more grotesque than I can tell, came out and squatted on the heads. And when I, who was cooler and more scientific than the rest, mumbled a trembling protest about imposture and static electricity, Nyarlathotep drove us all out, down the dizzying stairs into the damp, hot, deserted midnight streets. I screamed aloud that I was not afraid, that I, would, that I could never be afraid, and that others screamed with me for solace. We swore to one another that the city was exactly the same, and still alive, 
We swore to one another that the city was exactly the same and still alive, and when the electric lights began to fade, we cursed the company over and over again, and we laughed at the queer faces we made. I believe we felt something coming down from the greenish moon, for when we began to depend on its light, we drifted into curious involuntary marching formations and seemed to know our destinations, though we dared not think of them. Once we looked at the pavements and found the blocks loose and displaced by grass, with scarce a line of rusted metal to show where the tramways had run. And again we saw a tram car, lone, windowless, dilapidated, and almost on its side. When we gazed around the horizon, we could not find the lower tower by the river, and noticed that the silhouette of the second tower was ragged at the top. Then we split up into narrow columns, each of which seemed drawn in different direction. One disappeared in a narrow alley to the left, leaving only the echo of a shocking moan. Another filed down a weed-choked subway entrance, howling with a laughter that was mad. My own column was sucked toward the open country, and presently I felt a chill which was not of the hot autumn. For as we stalked out on the dark moor, we beheld around us the hellish moon glitter of evil snows. Trackless, inexplicable snows swept asunder in one direction only, where lay a gulf of all the blacker for its glittering walls. The column seemed very thin indeed as it plodded dreamily into the gulf. I lingered behind, for the black rift in the green-litten snow was frightful, and I thought I had heard the reverberations of a disquieting wail as my companions vanished, but my power to linger was slight. As if beckoned by those who had gone before, I half floated between the titanic snowdrifts, quivering and afraid into the sightless vortex of the unimaginable. Screamingly sentient, dumbly delirious, only the gods that were can tell. A sickened, sensitive shadow writhing in the hands that are not hands, and whirl blindly past ghastly midnights of rotten creation, corpses of dead worlds with sores that were cities, charnel winds that brush the pallid stars and make them flicker low beyond the world vague ghosts of monstrous things half-seen columns of unsanctified temples that rest on nameless rocks beneath the space and reach up to dizzy vacua above the spheres of light and darkness and through this revolting graveyard of the universe the muffled maddening beating of drums and thin monotonous whine of blasphemous flutes from unconceivable unlightened chambers beyond time the detestable pounding and piping whereunto dance slowly, awkwardly, and absurdly the gigantic, tenebrous, ultimate gods, the blind, voiceless, mindless gargoyles whose soul is Nyarlathotep. Oh, wait, I'm sorry. Um, this short story wasn't called Nyarlathotep. It was called 2020. Dude, I know, and I... I and all right so we're breaking character what the fuck ever we didn't plan we did this. not plan like, we this. didn't pre-read these we're just like hey let's look up some short hp lovecraft stories yeah, that we're we, both we like vaguely aware of just, yeah let's do it like, and this was this was written that there's also a note that says this was written in december of 1920 yes so a hundred years ago a hundred years ago Good God, man. How, wait, wait a minute. Wait a minute. How does it say written in December of 1920, published November 1920? I, I don't know. <laughs> I think I think Dagon Bites is fucking with us, Josh. I, it, it could be. I Or at least I really hope that's not the case because. Which would be insane. What if you like. Oh, dude. Okay, never mind. <laughs> I don't know if I'm ready to like climb that dark tower just yet. <laughs> but okay. But yeah, isn't that. God. 
because because there is that whole idea of like oh whatever you're just you read a story and then your mind like fills in the pieces and says like oh well this is happening and that's happening and but still like all of the stuff that this is talking about like it's too real like to it yeah to the a season- political and social upheaval yeah. was added and a strange and brooding apprehension of hideous physical danger a danger widespread and all-embracing, such a danger as might not be imagined only in the most terrible phantasms of the night. It's like Jesus Christ. Yeah. Well, and, and or and, even I don't know if this one got you. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. When, sorry, well, go ahead. And then I was even going to read the next line where it was. I recall that the people went about with pale and worried faces and whispered warnings and prophecies which no one dared consciously repeat or acknowledge to himself that he, that he had heard. So again, it's like how often is like. We just have this like, you know, dead eye, dead face kind of just shuffle. And we always like yeah. we're, we're in this situation where it's like, well, can well, can we talk about this? Can I talk about this with you? Can I talk about or like is it or is it like 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 something's going to blow up and like a fight's going to break out and then we're going to get put on YouTube and World Star and all that? World Star. World Star. So, yeah, like I. Oh, man. <laughs> Yeah, it's, and then yeah. it, uh, you know, no, no, no. But again, you know, Ka is a mm-hmm. is a flat circle gunslinger, mm-hmm. or Ka is a wheel. Ka is a wheel, which is both. Which is both. Actually, yeah. funnily yeah. enough, I've 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 talked to you, Mark, about like the funny things that uh, the YouTube algorithm just kind of puts my way. Yes, some of the most recent ones, and these are fascinating. These are super super cool. Is like they're little like 20 second, 30 second little things um, where it's like um, it, 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 it's computer animated renders of, uh, yeah, these like gear systems or like simple little like machines where it's like, here's how you can use four. Um, yeah, like four four points to make a to make a reciprocating line that like goes back and forth, okay. and or like here's a here's an intermittent, uh, like like gear gear system, and it's super fascinating. Which also, again, having read this uh, little bit now, and it talks about his like devious machine or his his strange mach- his strange machines of glass and metal. And then he combines them into like even stranger ones, and so yeah, like it, I, I, I'm getting like all these images of gears and levers and uh, chains and like sp- and, like things spinning around, which again makes me think of uh, time is a circle. So who knows? Like maybe yeah. maybe if I just watch two or three more of these and get a whole bunch of uh, uh, like <laughs> Lego Connect system things. <laughs> Who knows, man? Like, 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 maybe that'll be, maybe that'll be like, maybe that'll give us the solution that we need in these very troubling times. <laughs> just, yes. just make a big machine out of Lego parts. <laughs> what it does, it doesn't matter. But maybe that's just it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Could be something like Fuck it. Fuck it. Fuck it. We'll just, we'll just get some. Um, yeah. <laughs> can can I uh, share with you what H.P. Uh, Lovecraft said about Nyarlathotep? Oh, please, yeah, yeah. Uh, so this comes from a letter that he wrote to his friend Samuel Loveman. Okay. I had never heard the name Nyarlathotep before, but it seemed to understand the illusion. Uh, Nyarlathotep was a kind of itinerant showman or lecturer who f- held forth in public halls and aroused widespread fear and discussion with his exhibitions. 
These exhibitions consisted of two parts. First, a horrible, possibly prophetic cinema reel, and later some extraordinary experiments with scientific and electrical apparatus. As I received the letter, I seemed to recall that Nyarlathotep was already in Providence. I seemed to remember that person had whispered to me in awe of his horrors and warned me not to go near him. But Loveman's dream letter decided me. As I left the house, I saw throngs of men plodding through the night, all whispering affrightedly and bound in one direction. I fell in with them, afraid yet eager to see and hear the great, the obscure, the unutterable Nyarlathotep. And it really makes me think that, like, Lovecraft was just talking about uh, Nikola Tesla. Yeah, I, I, I was just going to say, like... Because these timelines kind of match up where he would have seen, like... He would have told... Like, he's in New England in, you know, the late 1800s, early 1900s. Mm-hmm. He would have totally been in the possibility of seeing uh, Tesla expo- expositions and stuff, like... Well, yeah, and, well, and especially because uh, it's talking about the electricity, too, right? Mm-hmm. And, and or, or, or like I don't want to say what it was the 1920 World's Fair where Tesla like lit the entire thing with his uh, wireless electricity. Yeah, like, I think. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Which, which, uh, yeah. I, I also like. Not that Tesla was like, yeah, this eight foot tall pharaoh looking guy. Although, kind of. Well, no, he totally was. Like, yeah, like, like, kind of, like enough of that too. But um, no, yeah, like I, I could also absolutely, <laughs> like, you put him in in one of the like headdress crowns of the upper and lower kingdoms. Like, oh yeah, totally. Like this is absolutely. Oh hell yeah, absolutely. What's going on? Which, if there's anybody that's like going to show us the mysteries, uh, like, like the unnamed and unknowable mysteries of the universe, that was definitely Nikola Tesla. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Again, Tesla's getting his own episode. There. Oh yeah. Yes. 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 Yeah. Absolutely. Um. Something. One. One more thing about Nyarlathotep is. I. I'm. I'm also. I'm also really struck at. Uh, like the narrator of this story, still trying to like cling on to be like, no, that's just. Yeah. Static electricity and. And, and, like, still trying to, like, come up with some sort of rational explanation for all this. But, like... But also, what a dick. Like, Yeah, but also, what a dick, too. Yeah. Well, and that that's also kind of making me... And let me know if I am reading too much into this. Like, how much of that, too, yeah. is, like, here's, like, the crowd moving in one direction. And then, like, kind of splitting off and going in separate directions. And then the one person saying, like... Well, actually, science says that we should do this, and like nobody, like no one's paying attention to him. <laughs> yeah, like that doesn't remind me of anything going on currently at all. No, non nonsense. I hate it when you and I actually do real fucking magic on the podcast, Josh. I know, man. <laughs> God damn it, it's the worst. It is the worst. It is the worst. <laughs> And maybe it's my fault, because I was just like, ah, oh, I remember these short stories being kind of shortish. I think Narlathotep was cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, no, I planned this. This has been my intent since day one. Right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Bow before me, peasants. <laughs> I am your god wizard. Behold my tower of bone that is not my penis. <laughs> Which, I don't know if you saw this, and, and we can keep this in or not, but I don't know if uh, you saw the story on Reddit where um, apparently there was like a there was like a conference of um, paleontologists and they were trying to like either do a do like a virtual conference trying to figure some some, some stuff out but the um, 
but the program that they were using to communicate had an auto filter and it and, and it filtered okay and it filtered out bone <laughs> and so here's all these yeah like respected researchers and and uh yeah but people who, who who would go out on digs and things like that and every time they were talking about finding this bone you they just get like four asterisks and if they get a red flag about like so and so said a bad word <laughs> <laughs> oh god yeah that's wonderful it's too funny that that is the worst magic is self-censorship that it Oh, yeah. <laughs> Mortals, tremble and fear, behold yeah. before your lord, Nyer Lathotep, who brings you electricity. <laughs> Which, like, to be fair, because, like, that's ubiquitous for us now. Like, I have, like, four or five things just in my immediate vicinity that are using electricity. But, but, oh, hell yeah. But to someone that's, like, still like a new technology that would that would freak the shit out of like anybody to be fair yeah to be fair yeah 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 no to, to be fair I, I get it, it was literally a hundred years ago yeah like yeah yeah it was still a new concept indeed 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 yeah well and uh i i did see that uh yeah like little young young gershon like kind of kind of ran off but um Dude booked it. It's cool. I understand the, the 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 horror and madness is too much for him. Yeah, but I did notice that uh, uh, it looks like his uh, older sister uh, Ludmila showed up, um, and she actually had a couple more. She had she had two. She found two more four locos that apparently the rest of the townsfolk wanted nothing to do with. They knew that they couldn't handle it. <laughs> And so she like that's these are smart them. townsfolk to give these items of such wretched power to to such mighty wizards. Yeah, which and funnily enough, like I'm I'm out of mine. Um, I am too. Should we should we crush this cup, sir? Yeah, we shall we shall crush it. Crush it. Okay. All right, and I'm, uh, let's go ahead and we we have now uh, crushed a cup, and let's. Uh, Crack open a book, Josh. Nope. Here we go. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is the worst idea we've ever oh, had. Man. Worst slash greatest slash most cyclopean. Um. Most cyclopean. Most unpronounceable name of serving girl Lubamelia. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Whatever you said. It it doesn't matter at this point. No. It really doesn't matter. No. At no. This that's point. all I need. Go. 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 No, go do something else. I don't care. No, no, over there. You're, you're messing up our groove. Go over there. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Josh. I, I don't know, man. My brain hurts. Yeah, this but is. We have one more chalice to drain, and I think that we have one more entry in this book of unknown horrors. Yeah, it is the Necronomicon. I, I am starting to feel some power, uh, sort of like radiating or emanating, kind of pulsating from this book. But, but, but I think if we have this one more. For Loco to crush, we we might as well also uh, maybe take take a look at one more one more dive into uh, this uh, this uh, tomb that we have before us here. Tome, tome. You're here. That's what I meant to say, not tomb. <laughs> Although who knows, maybe that's going to feature in, in one of these stories too. <laughs> <laughs> a tomb, a tomb, a tomb, and a t- I mean, yeah, it's Lovecraft, so it's like a dead yeah. body in a book. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> God damn it, that's every Lovecraft story. <laughs> It is. It really is. Call of Cthulhu. His uncle's dead, and he picks up a journal 
Dunwich Horror, uh, the old Wizard Waitley dies and Wilbur needs the Necronomicon. Yep. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's just it. Yeah. That's just it. Okay, so eeny, meeny, miny, open this one too. Oh, Dagon. And I've I've heard of this one before, and I may have come across it once or twice, but it'll be it'll be definitely like yeah, like it's one thing to read Lovecraft just kind of on its own, but yeah, under the sway of For Loco, this will be this will open up all sorts of <laughs> new rough. open up all sorts of new new things for us. <laughs> new horrifying vistas of reality. Yeah, yeah exactly. Oh, <laughs> uh, Lovecraft by Four Loco needs to be a recurring <laughs> segment. I think. I think you're right. Listeners, let us know what you think, but also I don't care because this is going to be a thing. This is my yep. show. Fuck you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, that's the four loco. It's making me mean. I'm kidding. I love you guys. <laughs> Josh, let's read a book. All right. Here we go. Diving in. This is, All right. this is Dagon by H.P. Lovecraft. I am writing this under an appreciable mental strain since by tonight I shall be no more. Penniless and at the end of my supply of the drug which alone makes life endurable... I can bear the torture no longer, and shall cast myself from this garret window into the squalid street below. Do not think from my slavery to morphine that I am a weakling or a degenerate. When you have read these hastily scrawled pages, you may guess, though never fully realize, why it is that I must have forgotfulness or death. It was in one of the most open and least frequented parts of the broad Pacific that the packet of which I was a... I was supercargo, fell victim to the German sea raider. The Great War was at its very beginning, and the ocean forces of the Hun had not completely sunk to their later degradation, so that our vessel was made a legitimate prize, whilst we of her crew were, tre were treated with all the fairness and consideration due us as naval prisoners, so liberal indeed was the discipline of our captors that five days after we were taken I managed to escape alone in a small boat with water and provisions for a good length of time. When I finally found myself adrift in a free, I had but little idea of my surroundings. Never a competent navigator, I could only guess vaguely by the sun and stars that I was somewhat south of the equator. Of the longitude I knew nothing, and no island or coastline was in sight. The weather kept fair, and for uncounted days I drifted aimlessly beneath the scorching sun, waiting either for some passing ship or to be cast on the shores of some habitable land. But neither ship nor land appeared, and I began to despair in my solitude upon the heaving vastness of unbroken blue. The change happened whilst I slept. Its details I shall never know, for my slumber, though troubled and dream-infested, was continuous. When at last I had awakened, it was to discover myself half-sucked into a slimy expanse of hellish black mire, which extended about me monotonous undulations as far as I could see, and in which my boat lay grounded some distance away. Though one might well imagine that my first sensation would be of wonder at so prodigious and unexpected a transformation of scenery, I was in reality more horrified than astonished. For there was in the air and in the rotting soil a sinister quality which chilled me to the very core. The region was putrid with the carcasses of decaying fish and of other less describable things which I saw protruding from the nasty mud of the unending plain. Perhaps I should not hope to convey in mere words the unutterable hideousness that can dwell in absolute silence and barren immensity. There is nothing within hearing and nothing in sight save a vast reach of black slime Yet the very completeness of the stillness and the homogeneity of the landscape oppressed me with a nauseating fear. 
The sun was blazing down from a sky which seemed to me almost black in its cloudless cruelty, as though reflecting the inky marsh beneath my feet. As I crawled into the stranded boat, I realized only one theory could explain my position. Through some unprecedented volcanic upheaval, a portion of ocean floor must have been thrown to the surface, exposing regions which, for innumerable millions of years, had lay hidden under unfathomable watery depths. So great was the extent of the new land which had risen beneath me, that I could not detect the faintest noise of the surging ocean, strain my ears as I might. Nor were there any sea fowl to prey upon the dead things. For several hours I sat thinking or brooding in the boat, which lay upon its side and afforded a slight shade as the sun moved across the heavens. As the day progressed, the ground lost some of its stickiness and seemed likely to dry sufficiently for traveling purposes in short time. That night I slept but little, and the next day I made for myself a pack containing food and water, preparatory to an overland journey in search of the vanished sea and possible rescue. On the third morning I found the soil dry enough to walk upon with ease. The odor of the fish was maddening, but I was too much concerned with graver things to mind so slight an evil, and to set out boldly for an unknown goal. All day I forged steadily westward, guided by a faraway hummock which rose higher than any other elevation on the rolling desert. The night That night I encamped, and on the following day, still traveling toward the hummock, through that, though that object seemed scarcely nearer than when I had first espied it, by the fourth evening I attended the base of the mound, which turned out to be much higher than it had appeared from the distance, and an, inter an intervening valley setting it out in sharper relief from the general surface. Too weary to assent, I slept in the shadow of the hill. I know not why my dreams were so wild that night. But ere the waning and fantastically gibbous moon had risen far above the eastern plain, I was awakened in a cold perspiration, determined to sleep no more. Such visions that I had experienced were too much for me to endure again, and in the glow of the moon I saw how unwise I had been to travel by day. Without the glare of the parching sun, my journey would have cost me less energy. Indeed, I now felt quite able to perform the ascent which had deterred me at sunset. Picking up my pack, I started for the crest of the eminence. I have said the unbroken monotony of the rolling plain was a source of vague horror to me, but I think my horror was greater when I gained the summit of the mound and looked down the other side into an immeasurable pit or canyon, whose black recesses the moon had not yet soared en high enough to illumine. I fell myself on the edge of that world, peering over the rim into a fathomless chaos of eternal night. Though my terror ran curious reminiscence of Paradise Lost and Satan's hideous climb through the unfashioned realms of darkness. As the moon climbed higher in the sky, I began to see that the slopes of the valley were not quite so perpendicular as I had imagined. Ledges and outcroppings of rock afforded fairly easy footholds for a descent, whilst after a drop of a few hundred feet, the declivity became very gradual. Urged on by an impulse which I cannot definitely analyze, I scrambled with difficulty down the rocks and stood on the gentler slope beneath, gazing into the Stygian deeps where no light had yet penetrated. All at once my attention was captured by a vast and singular object on the opposite slope, which rose steeply about a hundred yards ahead of me, an object that gleamed whitely in the new bestowed rays of the ascending moon. That it was merely a gigantic piece of stone, I soon assured myself. 
but I was conscious of a distinct impression that its contour and position were not altogether the work of nature. A closer scrutiny filled me with sensations I cannot express, for despite its enormous magnitude and its position in an abyss which had yawned at the bottom of the sea since the world was young, I perceived beyond a doubt the strange object was a well-shaped monolith whose massive bulk had no known the workmanship and perhaps worship of living and thinking creatures. Dazed and frightened, yet not without a certain thrill of the scientist's or archaeologist's delight, I examined my surroundings more closely. The moon, now near the zenith, shone weirdly and vividly above the towering steeps that hemmed in the chasm, and revealed the fact that a far-flung body of water flowed at the bottom, winding out of sight in both directions and almost lapping my feet as I stood on the slope. Across the chasm, the wavelets washed the base of the Cyclopean monolith, on whose surface I could now trace both inscriptions and crude sculptures. The writing was in a system of hieroglyphics unknown to me, and unlike anything I had ever seen in books, consisting for the most part of conventionalized aquatic symbols, such as fishes, eels, octopi, crustaceans, mollusks, whales, and the like. Several characters obviously representing several characters obviously represented marine things which are unknown to the modern world, but whose decomposing forms I had observed on the ocean risen plain. It was the pictorial carving, however, that did the most to hold me spellbound. Plainly visible across the intervening water on account of their enormous size was an array of bas-reliefs whose subjects would have excited the envy of a door. I think that these things were supposed to depict men, at least a certain sort of men. Though the creatures were shown disporting like fishes in the waters of some marine grotto, or paying homage at some monolithic shrine which appeared to be under the waves as well. Of their faces and forms I dare not speak in detail, for the mere remembrance makes me grow faint. Grotesque beyond the imagination of a Poe or a Bulwer, they were damnably human in general outline despite webbed hands and feet, shockingly wide and flabby lips, glassy, bulging eyes, and other features less pleasant to recall. Curiously enough, they seem to have been chiseled badly out of proportion with their scenic background, for one of the creatures was shown in the act of killing a whale, represented as but little larger than himself. I remarked, as I say, their grotesqueness and strange size, but in a moment decided that they were merely the imaginary gods of some primitive fishing or seafaring tribe, some tribes whose last descendant had perished eras before the first ancestor of the Piltdown or Neanderthal man was born. Awestruck at this unexpected glimpse into the past beyond the conception of the most daring anthropologist, I stood musing while the moon cast queer reflections on the silent channel before me. Then suddenly I saw it. With only a slight churning to mark its rise to the surface, the thing slid into view of the dark waters, vast, polyphemus-like, and loathsome. It darted like a stupendous monster of nightmares to the monolith, about which it flung its gigantic scaly arms, the while it bowed its hideous head and gave vent to certain measured sounds. I think I went mad then. Of my frantic ascent of the slope and cliff, of my, and of my delirious journey back to the stranded boat, I remember little. I believe I sang a great deal, and laughed oddly when I was unable to sing. I have indistinct recollections of a great storm some time after I reached the boat, 
At any rate, I knew that I heard peals of thunder and other tones which nature utters only in her wildest moments. When I came out of the shadows, I was in San Francisco Hospital, brought thither by the captain of the American ship which had picked up my boat in mid-ocean. In my delirium I had said much, but found that my words had been given scant attention. Of any land upheaval in the Pacific, my my rescuers knew nothing. Nor did I deem it necessary to insist upon a thing which I knew they could not believe. Once I sought out a celebrated ethnologist and amused him with peculiar questions regarding the ancient Philistine legend of Dagon, the fish god. But soon perceiving that he was hopelessly conventional, I did not press my inquiries. It is at night, especially when the moon is gibbous and waning, that I see the thing. I tried morphine. But the drug has only given transient surcease, and has drawn me into its clutches as a hopeless slave. So now I am to end it all, having written a full account for the information or the contemptuous amusement of my fellow men. Often I ask myself if it could not have all been a pure phantasm, a mere freak of fever as I lay sunstricken and raving in the open boat after my escape from the German man-of-war. This I ask myself. But ever does there come before me a hideously vivid vision and reply. I cannot think of the deep sea without shuddering at the nameless things that may at this very moment be crawling and floundering on its slimy bed, worshipping their ancient stone idols and carving their own detestable likenesses on submarine obelisks of water-soaked granite. I dream of a day when they may rise above the billows to drag down in their reeking talons the remnants of puny, war-exhausted mankind. Of a day when the land shall sink and the dark ocean floor shall ascend amidst universal pandemonium. The end is near. I hear a noise at the door, as of some immense slippery body lumbering against it. It shall not find me. God, that hand... The window! The window! Ah, oh, Jesus Christ. Man, what is in... What is in this Necronomicon? What is in this Four Loco? What is... Ah, uh, oh, Josh, there... Look, no, there goes Luba Amelia. She's... Ah, oh, she jumped out the... She, she jumped, jumped out, out the, the wind- window. Yeah, she... Ah, she, she, she oh, shit. This last... Even this... Albeit kind of longer, but still, this short story of Dagon, like, I, I think she may have correlated the contents of her mind. She couldn't do it. Poor no, and she, she, but she also knew, Ludmilla. like, I have to give them the four locos. I have to give them yeah. the last two. And then that is my sacrifice. And then she, yeah. she bailed. We, we have a moat. It's cool. Yeah. We, we and it's only like a 10-foot drop. Like, yeah, it, she's dude, totally fine. We, we are wizards in like a... a in a in a postmodern world, like we, you, you think we have towers? Come on, guys! Come on! These are like, this is a three story apartment. Come on, what are you yeah. doing? It's twenty twenty. <laughs> yeah, but but also I'm like weirdly higher than ninety percent of the town, so it makes. But there was also one. There, there was one thing that I did want to come back to this Dagon piece was like, um, yeah, because there was a part where like our narrator gets gets uh gets like caught up in this naval battle and he's held captive and then he breaks out and, and then he has this line where um yeah like 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 he can only see the ocean uh and, mm-hmm. and, and and i began to despair in my solitude upon the heaving vastness of unbroken blue um yeah which 
Colorado is a landlocked state. Oh, Ohio has like a couple of the Great Lakes, but that's still not quite the same thing. But but Mark, have have you ever been out there on, on the ocean where like you can't see any land masses? Not so much on open sea. Okay. I um a couple years ago we took a ferry from uh Boston to uh Salem. Mm. And that's about as open ocean as I've ever been. Okay. Okay. Yeah. But well, I can still appreciate like yeah. the horrible vastness. No, like yeah, I saw the ocean for the first time in uh what was it? That'd be twenty seventeen. Mm-hmm. Twenty eighteen. In twenty eighteen, like yeah. I saw it for the first time and it it, it sorta of did. Uh, it shattered me a little bit just because of like, man, yeah. on the other side of this is a whole like, it's a whole nation of people. It's a whole, you know, it's Europe and it's it's Spain and Africa and mm-hmm. deeper in, you know, like, and I guess like most immediately would be like England and, you know, the United Kingdom. But like, God damn, man, like, and it was just there. Yeah. Like, and I never I, thought about it before, but it was, it's such a huge thing, man. Like, mm-hmm. I, I have yeah. And and I know this is going to be like, I completely understand that this is going to be like the most like middle class thing ever. Um, no, no, bitter, bitter. But but yeah, like like on my mom's side of the family, every couple of years we'll go on a cruise, and like like well, it's a yeah. yeah like it's a chance to like meet up with the cousins, and like go hang out, and like now that there are grandkids, or I guess even perhaps more properly great grandkids now like that's also kind of fun but yeah like there there will be mornings where you wake up and like you like you just see blue and like there's no other boats there's no other land and like you're just cruising along and i totally understand that like that is far and away removed from what this guy was going through just like in a little like rowboat or whatever um having dingy, yeah. yeah yeah which but but and of, of course like it's like oh well people travel this sea lane all of the time so yeah whatever but no to like be truly like to be adrift or afloat in nothing but blue not knowing when or even if you'll see another person much less like land right like or yeah. I, I guess maybe i flipped that like never knowing when you'll see land again much less another person yeah man like that's it's it, like i i it's not quite vertigo but there have been times where just kind of like leaning across like the upper rail there being like and and yeah like you have this sort of like profound realization like holy shit like i'm just all I'm just a dude. I'm just yeah. a dude. And there's all this water and who knows what the <laughs> fuck is at the bottom of all this water. Oh man. Well, I mean like, and it's, it's, it's hack to say, but we know more about space than we do about our own planet. Like we know more about the moon. Um, then, then yeah, like the bottom of the ocean or, or we've explored more of the moon or we've mapped more of the moon, but still, yeah. Like, yeah. The, like the point remains that who knows what, what is lurking at the bottom and even like the like maybe like hundreds of thousands to like millions of years before like what like what civilizations were there perhaps that got 
sublimated, but uh, that, that 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 yeah, that got sublimated underneath Josh, the waters. Josh, yeah. Josh, Josh, buddy, buddy, yeah. buddy, mm-hmm. yep. The four locos got you. You're trying to correlate all the oh, contents man. of your mind, man. Th- no, thank no, you for rescuing me. I'm there too. Me. I I feel you. No, I. You were no, rescuing dude, me. New from Zealand life. was part of a fucking continent that sunk. It's a thing. It doesn't matter. We'll get to it later. But ah, ah, no, Josh, is... ah, underneath the briny deep that we just teleported to somehow. No, hey, no, the... it's Lamelia. She pulled us out. Oh my god! Thank you. Oh, Lamelia. thanks, babe. Appreciate you. Because I was when I say babe, I mean like you know just a general fun term. Yeah, know, she gave me knuckles at school. We're, she's good. We, yeah, yeah, we fisted. Yeah. We're buddies. We, yeah. Well, We're fisting buddies. It's cool. Yeah. Yes. And and thank you because I was I was just about to like go diving into a place that I was that I can see now. I was unprepared. Josh, to dive didn't into. you see the whole like floor of the tower turn to water? Like, yeah. This were, is. Oh man. We've cracked some bad magic, buddy. This was this was. I felt that I was a pretty competent wizard, but I'm realizing that like this is this is a particularly potent combination that i need to train more uh yes we before yeah. i tackle this again so okay man who no thank you mark thank you ludmilla and gershon and all the villagers Where, for wherever you might be little gershon yeah because Godspeed, young man <laughs> i would i shudder to think what a lesser man or woman or person uh, how they would have encountered this combination of For Loco and the Necronomicon. <laughs> uh, but, yeah. Whew, yeah, okay, okay, no, yeah, this is this is a good stopping right. point. We, yeah, this is a good the stopping tower point. Is, our tower is secure, Josh. Yep. We are mighty. Yep. We, so, we have drank deeply of the For Loco, mm-hmm. and, and, and we have delved at least scrapingly of the top of the Necronomicon. By the madman himself, Howard Phillips Lovecraft. Yeah. And one day we'll talk about him on his own, I reckon. But Oh, yes. We've done it. We have come out the other side, and I am horrified, and my brain hurts. And also my kidneys and liver kind of hurt, and I might have a bladder infection from Four Loco. I'm not entirely sure. But I also reckon that, like, all magic requires sacrifice. So if you need one of my kidneys, you take it, magic. You just take it, man. Yeah, there... There is the exchange that is necessary. No, yeah, yeah. So, so no, we, we will we will close the Necronomicon for now and put it on the shelf. Uh, but by no means is this the last time that we have tackled these uh, these tales of un, of unknown horror and cosmic vastness and maybe maybe not the four locals will make another <laughs> appearance <laughs> so so did you get through it buddy cuz i just crushed my last i i must admit that um maybe i got a little too wrapped up i probably have a third of my second one left but oh you, 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 well then you i know, think maybe... the only thing to do is channel your magic and chug it no, I'm not. No, don't do. Don't. don't <laughs> okay. Yeah. No, that's that. Uh, As you throw up on Mike. Yeah. <laughs> I built. I rebuilt my computer. Yeah. <laughs> Got to rebuild it again. <laughs> Look at this nice. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. Uh. Yeah. Go. You. You. you go ahead. No. You, no. No. You, no. You so. Now. So. I. So. I. So. I think this is. Uh. This is probably 
for 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 my sake definitely and then probably for the sake of our listeners this is probably a good place to kind of uh kind of put a pin in things for now yes i i believe so indeed 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 but also um let's you want to break really quick and should we say a cthulhu's prayer together josh oh yeah yeah absolutely if you want to get a hold of us, we're at two wizards. You got to spell out the word two. That's T W O wizards at Instagram, at Gmail, and we're two wizards pod C one on Twitter. If we did something cool, let us know. If you don't like us, let me know. Let me tell. Tell me how to help you like us, because we're pretty cool dudes. Oh, um, um, I was a wizard. My name is Mark. Don't listen to me. It was the four loco talking. I'm violent, and I've had two of them. And this is a sort of mayhem I don't know if I am horned up for or not. And I'm Josh, and I'm a wizard, and I am I am equally horned up for mayhem. And I think I gazed a little too much into that abyss, but... <laughs> If there's anything, if there's anything that I know about being a wizard, is that it is. It's 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 testing your limits. It's going right up to that point, and maybe even a little past that point, and then having another wizard to pull you out of it. <laughs> oh, oh Lord! Oh God! Past, <laughs> present, future—all are one to the two wizards. Who just want to tell you that we love you all so much. This is what we do. Thank you for listening. You are watching the breakdown of our minds. We stand in this portal and we we willingly confront this onslaught for you. (laughs) We We are the vanguard against the truly unknown and unknowable horrors. For Loco is the gate. For Loco, for Loco is, the is the key and the guardian of the gate. Past, present, future, all are one through For Loco. For Loco knows where they broke through of yore and where they shall break through again. Oh, man. <laughs> oh, this is amazing. Okay, all right. So this was. For Loco Tadena. <laughs> Many and monstrous are the works of For Loco. <laughs> Good night, guys. We love you. We'll talk to you later. Much love. Take care. (laughs) He rolled upon his back, and after that, I killed them all!